0: Welcome to LocalJobNetwork.com Radio. Your attention is directed to Minding Your P's and Q's, a show that studies the sensitive and sometimes treacherous subject of business etiquette. I'm your host, Tim Mua. Power and status on their own may not seem to fit into etiquette, but both influence behavior, particularly in the workplace. How we think and act can be affected by each, and it can be a serious issue when discussing proper etiquette with a peer, a boss, or pretty much anyone in a business setting. To examine the relationship of power and status at work, we have Eric Anasich joining us from New York. Eric has worked as a research consultant and also as a research coordinator at the Kellogg School of Management at Northwestern University. Eric, thanks for speaking with us today.
1: Yeah, thanks so much for having me,
0: Tim. First of all, if you could just give people an idea of what your experience has been, um, whether it be in this area or especially what you're doing now in terms of research, this topic of power and status.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So, I'm currently a doctoral student in the Management Division at Columbia Business School, and broadly speaking, I conduct research on organizational behavior with an emphasis on the social psychological processes that underlie and inform human interactions. So, you know, one aspect of this which I'm currently very interested in and which relates nicely to today's topic is the idea of power and status in the workplace and how these constructs emerge and interact with each other. Um, so, for example, some of my my recent research explores the relational consequences of having power but lacking status in the workplace, mm-hmm.
0: yeah, and that's definitely you know part of the reason we came to you or, you know overall, there's a number of you that were working on this, and um, we're happy to have you on. Now, it's probably a good idea to clarify a little bit with these ideas of power and status. So when we're talking about, in the workplace particularly, how are we defining power?
1: Sure, so power is, is really a structural feature of relationships, and it can be thought of as asymmetric control over valued resources, um, so, it, it captures the relative state of dependence between two or more parties, um, and what this means is that powerful people control some resource or outcome authority that the less powerful people value but don't necessarily control themselves. Okay. Um, so it can, it can take the form of a number of things. So in, in an organization, you know, the uh, authority to hire or fire employees is often one form of power. Mm-hmm. Uh, better access to important organizational members such as the president or CEO of the company um, might be another form of power, and then other things. Uh, a little bit less complex, you know, things simply, uh, one salary or title in the organization, all these things can, uh, you know, reflect someone's power in the organization.
0: Sure. And now you brought up a lot of those different kind of instances. And we've talked about that on, on, shows in the past, how everyone has a really a certain amount of power. And maybe that's where this other aspect comes in, in terms of status. When we're just talking about status on its own without relating it yet to power, what exactly, how would we define that in this situation?
1: Yeah, yeah, and I'm glad you asked because a lot of people tend to conflate these two definitions. Um, so status, unlike power, it refers to the respect and admiration that one has in the eyes of others, and it relies on social consensus. So in other words, if every member of a group agrees that one person has low status, then by definition that individual has low status in that group. Mm-hmm. Um, so so status is socially constructed and it's, it's frequently updated based on people's collective impressions and beliefs. It, it's also important to note that both Power and status are situational, in that, you know, having high power or status in one domain does not. Guarantee high power or high status in another domain. So, you know, it, to illustrate this point, you can kind of think of an employee in an organization who stays late every day of the week in the office uh, all week long to produce a report, and they they do a great job, and this earns them, you know, uh, prestige and admiration in the eyes of their colleagues. So, in mm-hmm. that sense, they're gaining status in their workplace. But then, on the flip side, they have to go home at the end of the week, and and maybe their spouse or, or partner, you know, is actually respecting them less or admiring them less <laughs> for having worked those extra hours. So, it's not always a, a, a one for one trade-off like that, you know, a lot of times you can have status in every domain you you operate in, but, mm. it, you know, it, it's not the case that it will transfer cleanly to every domain that you work in.
0: No, and that's that's a great example, and you're, you're probably exactly right in most of those cases. So <laughs> kind of with that then, is it fair to say in general, just generally speaking, that, I mean, power a lot of times ends up being some sort of formal hierarchy, whereas status, as you talked about, it's almost informal, and and it just kind of comes to be? I mean, what's the differentiation there? So
1: I think that's one way to distinguish power and status. Uh, Certainly, it would be difficult for a manager uh, to formally mandate someone's status, that is, you know, to to get in front of their employees and say, from now on, you know, we'll respect and admire (laughs) so-and-so, right? That seems like a difficult outcome to achieve, because by definition, status requires social consensus, like I mentioned, uh, which is difficult, if not impossible, to kind of mandate. It's something that has to emerge organically in order to be viewed as Legitimate, mm-hmm. but power—I, you know—I would agree with you. I think it is much more amenable to formal manipulation. So, when an employee is promoted, uh, typically he or she will instantly have more power, right? So. For example, maybe the employee uh, was promoted to a managerial position for the first time, and now this person has the ability uh, to formally evaluate the performance of others mm. in their work unit. Of course, power is not always formalized in this way. Um, less formal forms of power might include things like you know just simply access to more information that you might not have had previously, or just better organizational opportunities more generally moving forward.
0: I mean, you've given us some good examples in both areas, I'd say. Is there, in your mind, more importance to status or power in a workplace? I mean, again, I know there are other factors and it could depend on what exactly kind of power there is, but can you put an emphasis on which one you would, based on your research, rather have power or status? That's
1: a difficult question. You know, I think the short answer is like you alluded to is it depends. You know, I think it's, it's important to first acknowledge that not all people strive for high power and high status positions. Mm-hmm. You know, pe- people vary in their desire for these things. Um, I would also add that that different things matter for different people at different times, right. right? So the the personal and situational factors will contribute to how power and status are weighted in a given context. Um, I think one factor that really matters here is the culture of the organization that one is working in. So if you're working in an industry or for a company that's very hierarchical or bureaucratic, you know, i can imagine that power might be more important than status because some measure of power is necessary to just get things done right. and it's it's difficult to be productive if one is constantly required to, you know, get approval and go up this rigid chain of command in order to complete their daily tasks. So so people need to have the power to do their jobs effectively, but it's important to realize that there are consequences for seeking power at the expense of status or vice versa. You know, i think the most effective long-term strategy is to develop both to the extent you can. But of course, we all know that's easier said than done. <laughs> so I think it, it just gets back to you know uh, employees and employers, you know, specific needs at specific times and specific contexts. So it's hard to say that one's always more or less important than the other.
0: Yeah, and I think most people I mean, probably were going to figure that was going to be the answer, but you know, again. I'm yeah. leaning on you for the, the expert advice or, or tidbits here just based on research and stuff, but I mean, I guess that sure. does fall in line with what most people would think. Now, you did mention a little bit how you know people's needs or desires for power status are, are different. So in terms of this idea of status, again, especially in the workplace we're talking about, I mean, where particularly does it come from? I mean, is this a feeling or a thought process that ends up maybe being, um, you know, implied by management? Does it mainly come from peers who kind of create this status? What would you say is more the breakdown in in regard of determining someone's status?
1: I think that's a great question. I mean, it really... I think it comes from the individual and it's kind of reinforced collectively in a social environment. So if we think about our, our basic hierarchy of needs as humans, you know, having control over valued resources is, is kind of fundamental to our physical survival. And, you know, I would say that respect and admiration in the eyes of others might be fundamental to our, our psychological well-being or survival. So. You know, a, a similar way to think about this is, is Maslow's hierarchy of needs, right? So at, at the base of the pyramid, we have these basic physiological needs for things like food and water, which most of us take for granted. And then a little bit higher up the hierarchy, we have things like safety needs, which include things like employment and resources and property. Um, so, So power, I think, is really relevant at this level in terms of human needs. Um, if we move up the hierarchy even further, uh, you know, you encounter things like the need for belongingness and self-esteem and and uh, social esteem needs. Sure. And I think this is kind of where status operates more. Um, so at this level, status actually fulfills, uh, you know, a higher order need to, to some extent for some people. Um, but that's not to say that status will always be valued more than power, especially in an organizational context. Mm-hmm. Now. Above a certain thir- certain threshold, though, uh, there might be diminishing returns to both, you know, the experience of having power and the experience of having status. So, you know, if you were to ask someone what's the difference between having 15 subordinates under your control versus having uh, 20 subordinates under your control, and, you know, some would say, well, the answer is five subordinates, but <laughs> others are likely uh, to not make that type of distinction, mm-hmm. you know. So, in other words, some people can fulfill their need for power or status on a smaller scale. Um, and similarly in terms of status I mean you want people to recognize what you do well in the organization and, and you want respect for that but you don't necessarily want your coworkers to be uh, you know asking for your autograph every morning when you come into the you know come into the workplace so there's there's a balance of these things and I think it, it starts kind of at a fundamental human need like you mentioned and then it's kind of reinforced socially especially with status um, and, and reinforced more formally I think with power okay
0: now are there certain factors I mean that Might actually lend itself to higher status. I mean, just in some of the information I've seen, and you know, things like education level or socioeconomically even seniority. I mean, do these things all at some point play a factor in status, or not as much as just simple, you know, what may be seen as charisma or popularity?
1: Right. So, I mean, I think some of the things you mentioned, education and SES, and and things like that, are are certainly important in some contexts. you know, generally speaking, higher levels of, of those types of things lead to more powerful uh, mm-hmm. positions. Or I, I should say they afford people more opportunities, which will ultimately lead to more powerful positions in organizations and in society more broadly. But other things like, uh, you know, one's title or position in the organizational hierarchy may lead uh, to higher status to the extent that you're respected and admired for uh, holding that position. So they these two things often travel mm-hmm. together. So you can gain power from having status, or you can gain status from having power, and also, like you said, uh, charisma. So there's, you know, there's some research showing that that other uh, kind of individual difference traits, such as extroversion, uh, leads to higher status in social groups. Physical attractiveness is another one that that keeps getting uh, looked at in the oh, research. Yeah. <laughs> um, these. These types of things that you know, all of us—it's uh, kind of intuitive uh, to think about the, the people. You know, the anecdotes we produce in our heads of people we know who have high status typically have some of these characteristics. On the other hand, there are a lot of things that can lead to lower status. So, um, social loafing uh, might be one way to lose status in the organization. If you know, if others view you as a free rider or someone who's not meeting their duties or mm-hmm. obligations, then your status is likely to drop, Um, and also, you know, something a little bit more dramatic, like perpetrating an ethical transgression or something might be a quick way to lose status as well. So, I mean, these things fluctuate uh, in response to different factors. Some of them are like education or SES, other things are, are kind of individual differences that, you know, may be out of someone's control even.
0: Well, I like that you brought up, the you know, the, even the things of ethical issues or, you know, attractiveness, that sort of thing, and it's stuff we've touched on for various shows in here. And it, the funny part to me and why this intrigued me, the idea of power and status, is that sometimes people forget that in a workplace environment, you're still human. It's still, you know, the human brain is, is working, emotions are working. And I, I think sometimes we, we move away from that because we're so mechanical almost in what we're doing at work. So with that, I wanted to get into this idea of how these relationships of power and status might be negative and how, how they interact in that way. So the first one I want to touch on really is, is a, a basis, I think, a lot of what you guys were researching in matching up this power and status. For example, if someone does have this power, you know, whether it be of information or of, of uh, you know, a manager over people, but have low status, how does this affect things in the workplace? Yeah, absolutely.
1: So you alluded to some of my colleagues uh, who are doing research on this topic along with me. So Adam Galinsky, who's with me here uh, at Columbia, Nate Fast at USC, and Nir Halavi at Stanford uh, have published, uh, the three of them have published a great paper on, on a similar topic uh, a year or two ago. And then the four of us actually are working on a follow up paper uh, related to this topic. So, you know, in general, if you're looking at the profile of somebody who has high power uh, and low status, if the power holder exercises their power in a way that that rubs people the mm-hmm. wrong way, then it's it's likely that they'll have low status among their coworkers over the long term. And, you know, i I'm sure you have, and I've certainly known lots of people over time who lament over how, you know, crazy their bosses or how horrible of a person their boss is. Um, you know, it's it's unlikely that the people making these types of statements hold their bosses in in mm-hmm. high regard. In other words, they they probably uh, view their boss negatively, even though they still have some measure of power over them. So, Anecdotally, I think the high power, low status profile is is quite common. The question is, how does this situation emerge? And I think there are several ways. So one way is that this, this person is just not being fair in general. So they're playing favorites or rewarding or punishing employees inconsistently. Um, they're suppressing ideas and not allowing a psychologically safe environment to develop where employees feel comfortable to voice their opinions. Um, all these things are indicative of, of managers who probably have low status in their organizations even though they may have considerable amounts mm-hmm. of
0: power. So with that, You know, you talk about maybe, um, I don't want to necessarily say unethical, but maybe there are some unethical things that go on with that. And um, some of the research might show that this low status, high power creates that sort of um, feeling or the behaviors, what sort of negative thoughts and actions do come about then? Whether it be from that person who has the power, or maybe you know their subordinates who, as you said, have these negative feelings already towards them. How does that end up manifesting itself in the workplace?
1: I mean, this situation can have several negative downstream consequences. So the three people I mentioned earlier have you know a paper showing that this profile of someone who's in a position of high power but low status that they they. Can you know, consistently demean and disrespect those below them. And, you know, the follow-up work we're doing together right now actually shows that that, that type of stuff can actually lead to uh, relationship mm. conflict among employees down the road. So, you know, I think it, it, it's certain that, uh, you know, there are a lot of negative things can come of this, although it's not out of uh, employers' hands to kind of get this situation under control if, if it does begin to emerge. So, it, it's just a, a careful balancing act and monitoring, you know, making sure that, managers and employers are aware of their level, uh, their employees' level of power and status at any given time, because it, it, it may be valuable to try to raise someone's status up to their level of power if they start to see these negative things. And, they, you know, there are, there are ways to do that, uh, and you know, kind of at the grassroots level. Uh, um, but it is, it is a difficult mm-hmm. thing to
0: do. And kind of on the flip side then, and I don't know how much of this is, if it's as prevalent or not, but... I guess it does happen all over the place, and you could be in the workplace or not. But this idea that someone does have this high status—you know, people just like to be around them; they have a whole lot of respect for them, kind of thing. But they don't have that actual power, what you would see as, you know, in a upper management position or whatever that power might be. Is this different, or how, do, how does this look different as opposed to, um, you know, low status with lots of power? It is the
1: flip side of the other uh, profile that we're talking about. And I think it's it's slightly less common, I'd mm-hmm. say, in organizations for someone to be in this position of high status but low power. But like you said, it certainly does happen, and I think. I think there are a couple situations in which, in which this could happen. So one might be, you know, a very well-respected employee who's more or less been grandfathered into the organization, or who um, is more of a figurehead at this point, based on mm-hmm. tenure. Um, you know, things like this—they they may have that that status and and prestige in the eyes of others, but you know, at this point in their career, they may not have that formal clout or authority that they once had. Um, that you know, that might be one example. Another example is maybe an up-and-coming star. So kind of. The opposite situation when there's a, a rising star who just is, is so well respected based on how well they're doing in the organization um, at such an early stage in their career, but they just haven't, it, you know, their title hasn't caught up to their potential. I guess you could say. So, you know, in that case, it can be frustrating because you you are so you know well liked and admired by your peers and coworkers, and yet you still feel like you're you're being starved for power. You feel like you need or want more, and you know, I think uh, those people eventually make their way up the hierarchy, the formal hierarchy of power, because, you know, hopefully at least managers recognize their potential and promote them accordingly. But, you know, I think I think there are situations when, when people have that, that status mm. without power.
0: You know, and with all of this, this is one of the parts that was fascinating to me and with the research you guys have done and you continue to do. But in terms of this, there's been so much research and studies you know, to deal with the idea of power and how it affects people and the whole idea that when people go into power, it just automatically is going to corrupt them. Some of this research has shown that's not exactly the case. Is that correct?
1: Yeah, exactly. So I mean, it, a, a lot of people make that that jump that that power uh, will you know lead directly to unethical behavior, but I you know I don't I don't think that's correct. I think it, it's it's a great question though because having power alters people's psychology and behavior in a number mm-hmm. of interesting ways. And one of the biggest concerns related to power is, you know, how do you maximize the benefits of power while minimizing the drawbacks? And and that can be really really difficult. So Adam Galinsky at Columbia and Joe McGee, who, who's a faculty member at NYU, actually have, have done a lot of kind of pioneering work in this area. And and basically they've they and others have found that people who have power tend to take more action than people who okay. don't have power. And the power holders are also more likely to act in an uninhibited way. Um, they're also more likely to take more risks and fail to th- see things from other people's perspectives none of these things by themselves are you know going to lead directly to unethical behavior in essence power liberates individuals to act on their goals and interests so I mean, to the question, I would I would say to the extent that one has kind of unethical or sinister goals, then possessing power may liberate them or license them to pursue uh, that mm. unethical behavior. But I wouldn't say that power per se leads to unethical behavior, I think it just gives people the resources and kind of the psychology to pursue whatever course of action they're set on pursuing anyway.
0: So I mean it's it, it's not as much a cause and effect as much as they're given the opportunity so to speak because now they're in those positions.
1: Right. I think I think that's that's the best way to characterize it is, you know, power holders have a, a lot of freedom and a lot of opportunities and a lot of resources at their disposal and you know I think that is why you know you see these these big fallouts in the media from, you know, high power people making these ethical transgressions because, you know, uh, people do have uh, sinister goals sometimes and and they will act on them and powerful people are more likely to, uh, you know, have the resources to actually see that through.
0: Then overall, I mean, is there a correlation with the perceived low status moving into a high power position that maybe that group of people is more likely to conduct themselves, maybe, if you want to call it unethical, you just want to call it uh, whatever you'd like, but is it seen more with that group that has that low status moving into a high power position?
1: Yeah, you know, that's a really interesting question and, and might be uh, some, you know, future research opportunities for <laughs> for me and others, but, um, you know, I, I think that could definitely be a possibility. I think, um, you know, they ha- they certainly have less to lose. When you're, when you're in a high power, low status position, you for whatever reason, you you don't have that social admiration from the people around mm-hmm. you. So in that sense, you don't have those relationships to lose if you were to transgress. Um, on the other hand, you, you do have power, you know, if we're talking about a high power, low status person. So yeah, I I don't know what uh, the ultimate outcome would be. But I think if if you had to wager a bet if those people would be more unethical than people in other combinations of power and status I think certainly they would be likely to act more unethically than others but yeah I'd, I'd love to test that
0: well here you go I just gave you some more work to do um, <laughs>
1: yeah exactly you know, I, I'll come back and talk about yeah. it
0: and with all of this, and we try to always remind people, we obviously have to speak in generalities here because you know we're trying to cover broad topics and um, every person, every situation is going to be different, but we're trying to just give that broad scope, that idea. You kind of brought this up earlier, and it was a question on my mind in terms of this idea of promoting somebody or moving them into a position. What's your opinion on how much employers should pay attention to their status, so to speak? You know, If it is somebody, yeah, maybe they have the tools, they have the knowledge to, to become a manager or become a you know, just a person that's has more power, so to speak. But you can tell they're just not liked by their peers, or just they don't get along, they don't fit into the culture, that kind of thing. How much should that play a role in determining stuff like that?
1: I think that's a, a really practical question that I think a lot of organizations deal with all the time. And you know, if if the situation you described is the case, then you know that person might actually not uh, possess all the necessary True. tools and capabilities yeah, to be an effective leader. Um, you know, because one of the most important tools you can have is the ability to kind of effectively build and grow these these positive interpersonal relationships. Um, you know, on the one hand, there's that functional competence where you know you're executing your duties daily and then there's this, you know, I guess emotional or uh, you know interpersonal competence where you need to navigate that social landscape well in order to be an effective leader. Um, but but certainly, I, I mean, I think that's that's the challenge. I mean, that's kind of getting back to my comment where, if possible, um, and th- and there may be ways to do this to raise, uh, the status of someone up to their, their level of power. I mean, certainly if you have someone who's already well liked and you're considering promoting them along with, uh, compared to someone who does not have that status, you know, I would say go with the person who already has, you know, the, uh, admiration in the eyes of others, because it'll just be an easier transition into that powerful role. Um, but now if you're, you don't have that better option in front of you, I mean, you'd probably want to try to facilitate ways for that person to, to gain status and and you know one way you can do that is to kind of look for the good in the person, you know, and try to bring that out of them. So so maybe look for a particular skill or, or expertise that this person has that maybe others don't know about and find a way to promote that among the work group or, you know, make them the office expert on a particular, uh, you know, computer program or task that they're particularly good at. Um, things like this. Um, I think also having other high status people vouch for you mm-hmm. is a great way it kind of status Transferral or transference, if, if, if you okay. will. Um, things like that can have a, a great effect on, on people's status. So I mean, it certainly will rub off on you. Now, the question is, will you be able to get another high status person in the organization to vouch for someone who everyone doesn't <laughs> like? And that's kind of more of a strategic question. But if that's at all possible, I think that can go a long way in, in you know just convincing the other employees that maybe this person has a past that paints them in a negative light. But moving forward, you know, these are the reasons why we should afford this person some measure of status, um, and then hopefully that will help complement their new powerful role.
0: And with that, we'll bring mining Your P's and Q's to its conclusion today. However, we're not done in our discussion on power versus status with Eric Anisich, our guest, who has plenty of experience diving into this subject matter. So be sure to check out part two of our discussion as we get into the ideas of a negative cycle and organizational hierarchy. In order to find the rest of this show, head to localjobnetwork.com and click on the radio tab near the top of the screen. There you can find On Demand Radio, then navigate to Power Versus Status, Part 2. Thanks to everyone listening, and please keep coming back to continue the learning process on mining Your P's and Q's, part of the LocalJobNetwork.com radio. If you have any comments or suggestions for the show, email us at ljnradio at LocalJobNetwork.com. Until we speak again, I'm your host, Tim Muma.